0: What I figured out is that um, these guys weren't actually perfect. It's like Jesus was the only perfect person to ever live, right? You guys understand that? And so, so we have all these saints who were really just human. And so what we figure out is you're reading through 1 Corinthians. This, this letter to this Corinthian church is that um, it's a church full of human saints because let's face it we can be saved by Jesus we can be redeemed we can like you know we are on our way to heaven but we are still human aren't we right and so what we read is that this church was really kind of messed up and if you've been here for a few weeks you've heard me say it like dude these these guys are like really messed up you got people getting drunk on communion right that's not what it's there for dude like put it down okay this is not a free bar okay like Set it down. It's okay. You've got you've got like weird sexual practices going on, okay? And obviously, the Lord frowns upon that. You got some dude sleeping with his stepmom, and like this has been going on for a while. So much so that Paul has time to like receive a letter from a different city, and this isn't like the U.S. Postal Service, okay? This is like, I'm gonna get on a horse and drive it that direction, right? He has time to write the letter, all 16 chapters of it, and then send it back okay, to, to, to take care of this issue. And, and you've got some people in the church and they're like, hey, Paul, when you were here, the church was awesome because Paul spent about 18 months at this church just like directing them, being their pastor, leading them. He was the church planner of this church in Corinth and he's teaching them righteousness. He's teaching them about the Lord and, and about godly things. But it's like as soon as he left, like they just went crazy. Right? And and so as you read through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you begin to see that this church, they might have been a little bit crazy. But, what we'll find out by reading in chapter 3, is that they are indeed saints. They are indeed saved. They're just a little bit off track. And so, um, what I actually want to do tonight is start out by showing you a couple of pictures. Um, go ahead and put slide one up on the screen for me. Um, and I want, I want to help you understand salvation, okay? And, and what we'll call this, if you were talking to somebody smart, they would call this um, an illustration of what we call lordship salvation. And this is Jesus being Lord and Savior, and this is how you know that you're saved, okay? So the first one that we're looking at here is this, this circle represents kind of your life, and, and you've got a throne in the middle of your life. This is the throne of your life. Whoever or whatever is on that throne is the thing that is, that is directing your life. And so in this instance, we see that little S up there, yourself, yourself. Is on the throne. And so when you're unsaved. You get to define. Who's on the throne. Even if it's not you on the throne. You define who's on the throne. Does that make sense? So you're in control of your life. You are, you are yourself. You have a self-directed life. And, and the cross representing Jesus. Is outside of your life. So this is pre-Jesus. Pre-salvation of your life. Um. You are on the throne. Now, go to slide two. Let me show you slide two. Slide two is our saved life. And this is when we make a choice to step down off of the throne and hand control over to Jesus. So we say this all the time. Jesus must be both Lord and Savior. Lord means he's king. Savior means you can't get to heaven without him. You need the forgiveness that he offers through his sacrifice on the cross. You guys understand that. You, you've probably heard us say that. But this is really what it represents. It represents when I say that Jesus is king, I've now stepped down off the throne of my life. And I've placed Jesus on that seat. Jesus gets to be king. Jesus gets to be Lord. Jesus is the one that is in control. And so I listed out um, some fruit of the spirit there on the side just so that you could kind of see um, what is kind of expected to be in your life whenever Jesus is sitting on the throne. When you get saved, you experience the love of God, the joy of God, the peace, the patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all these kind of things that that come directly from the Lord. We call them the fruit of the Spirit, okay? And so, when Jesus takes over, you begin to see some of these things popping up in your life. Now, how many of you would say that it was easier to be saved Patient after you got saved. How many of you would say it was easier to love after you got saved? It was easier to be kind after you got saved, right? And so this is what Jesus does. He literally, he he says, listen, I created you and the entire earth. I'm God, is what Jesus would say. And therefore, I deserve to be in control. That's hard to argue with, isn't it? right i mean if we're really just thinking about it who gets to rule and reign in your life well jesus why well because he created you he's a really good god he's a really strong god he's you know well really he's just the best option like who who else did you have in mind right well me Well, no, you're not good enough or strong enough, so you you have to give up that seat to Jesus, okay? That's how the argument would go. And so Jesus is the king. He's the one that rules and reigns in our life. And when he begins to rule and reign in our life, he literally takes away all of our sin and shame. He removes that stuff, forgives us, and then plants new life inside of us. The the Bible is full of, of scriptures that talk about new life in Jesus. It talks about being reborn. Is though your previous life is over and you now have a new life where Jesus is in charge. He takes up, through his Holy Spirit, he takes up residence in your heart. And he begins to teach you how to live properly. This is what it looks like when Jesus is in control, when when we submit ourselves to Jesus. So, here's kind of the issue, is is that some people want Jesus as Savior but not necessarily as Lord, Right? So some people want, you know, the idea that Jesus, man, he can save me, he'll get me into heaven, that sounds like a really good deal, I think I'll do that, but, you know, giving Jesus control, I'm not so sure about that part, right? So I just want to give you a few verses um, that kind of prove to you that Jesus must be both Lord and Savior to, 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 make this, um, to make this picture actually make sense. To make Jesus Savior, he must first become Lord. The three scriptures I want to go over real quick, starting with Luke 2.11, you see, Jesus has always been both Lord and Savior. In fact, Jesus came into the world described as both Lord and Savior biblically. Luke 2, eleven your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ, the Lord, the King. Romans 10.9, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then he becomes Savior. That's, that's the rule. Philippians 2.10 and 11, the... One day, every knee is going to bow down to Jesus and declare that Jesus is Lord. Listen, Jesus came to the earth with only one thing in mind, and that was to be both Lord and Savior. You can't can't separate the two. It it doesn't work that way, right? But here's the problem. You start reading through the book of 1 Corinthians, and... You know, hopefully some of you guys have been doing that. And you might be reading through this book looking at this really jacked up church and going, are these people even saved? Like, what is going on in this place? And, and, and you'll recognize there's some real issues that Paul needs to deal with in the church. And are they saved? The answer is absolutely yes. In fact, Paul, in writing to this letter, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 3 verse one, he actually calls them brothers and sisters. And so this is literally referring to them as, hey, you're in God's family with me. If we are all sons and daughters of God, then we are therefore brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Makes sense. He starts out saying, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you were still not ready. You were still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Maybe he's not saying there, not are you acting like humans, but mere humans. Are you acting like worldly humans instead of saved humans? And so Paul, in addressing this church in Corinth, says what would probably get a lot of pastors and leaders fired, right? He's like, you guys are some big old babies, right? Christian babies, but big old babies. Like you were infants in Christ. He's like, listen, I, I fed you like milk, like cow's milk, chocolate milk, right? And that's not really what he's saying. He's not anti-lactose here. Okay. He's, but what he's saying is, listen, you, <laughs> some of you guys are way too excited about that. I knew there was something cool about Paul. He's, yeah, lactose intolerant like me. No. Um, He's, he's literally saying, you got, I wanted to give you spiritual truth, but you weren't ready. You, weren't, you couldn't handle it. You weren't mature enough to handle it. He, he, so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about um, maturity, spiritual maturity. We said, man, it really has nothing to do with your age, right? Because you can be old and spiritually immature, right? Or you can be young and spiritually mature, Right? There's a lot of spiritual maturity in this room that would, that, that, that would, if we were to weigh it against the spiritual maturity of a lot of older folks who have called themselves Christians for decades, man, you would blow them out of the water. Why? Just because of your love for Jesus, your love for the Lord, has led you to become spiritually mature. And Paul is trying to get this church to become spiritually mature. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with acting like a baby, right? If you're a baby, Okay? Like, like you got to understand that a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about tonight, some of you guys are going to be like, Heath, that's kind of hard to hear. And listen, maybe tonight you're sitting in here and you're not even saved. Much of what I say tonight about how you live and why you should live the way that you should live isn't going to make a lot of sense until Jesus takes up residence in your heart as Lord and Saviour. Okay, so, so you got to take the first step in making Jesus Lord, right? And then there's this maturation process that begins where we become closer and closer and closer to Jesus. We get more and more and more holy. And so, the, so how, how do we do that? Like if you're, if you're a baby, you were like just saved, okay? Um, you're really not expected to live a life of spiritual maturity um, to the same extent that maybe someone would expect from me. I've got the professional Christian title, right? Like, there better be some spiritual maturity in me. Otherwise, all of you just need to go home, right? Like, why are you listening to me, okay? But if you're just saved, you're not expected to know what I know, right? So you're kind of held to a different standard. Jesus has grace and mercy, and so do we as a church. You got to know that just because maybe you don't believe like we believe right now, um, that you're still accepted and you're still loved, Right? You don't always have to get it right. We can still be human saints who are on this pathway to spiritual maturity. So, how do we grow? Well, this is kind of the answer. This is kind of the thing I want to I answer tonight. The question, how do we grow? Um, your first step is this. Um, repent. The first step to growing spiritually is to repent. And this is where you ask, what do I need to remove So that I can become spiritually mature. What in my life needs to get removed. So that I can become more spiritually mature. See the reason we need a savior. Is because we have this sin problem that plagues us. And, and if you're saved, you recognize this, right? There's this thing called sin that plagues our lives, and Jesus is the only one who's able to deal with this problem. See, when Jesus first started his ministry, you know what the first thing he said in his ministry was? Repent. That was the first ministry sermon that Jesus had to preach. He, he came down the mountain from, from fasting and praying, and he's going into ministry, and he's preaching repent. He said the same thing that John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. It's close by. We need to repent. And so what does repent mean? Repent literally means that, well, okay, if my sin is here and I've been chasing after my sin, I literally do a 180 and turn away from my sin and towards the Lord. So repent literally means I, I stop doing that thing. I stop. Focusing on that thing. I stopped giving time, energy, emotion to the thing that is sin. It's a 180. That's what repentance literally means. So, and here's what I know we all had to turn away from something to turn to Christ, didn't we? Every single one of us had saved. We could go around the room, every single one of us, and we would all have a different story about what Jesus saved us from, the thing that we had to turn away from to say yes to Jesus. It requires saying no to some things. So, we, let's say we've done that, right? Jesus is Lord of our life. But there tends to be this thing where, even though we're saved, much like the, the church in Corinth, something happens where it seems like Jesus gets removed from the throne in our life. And if you've been around Christians long enough, you recognize that this can happen. People will, people um, have a tendency to... Um, be less excited about Jesus. They have a tendency to fall back into sin, right? And, and so there's a third slide I want to show you tonight. And this slide, go to slide three for me. This is where you're saved, but you're living a self-directed life. You're saved, but you're living a self-directed life. Now, let me say this before I, before I really um, begin to kind of explain some of this. Um some people think it's okay to live here. These are the people who want Jesus as Savior but not as Lord. And one day they will go to heaven, and biblically what we know is that they will hear things like, Depart from me, I never knew you. Because Jesus only accepts one seat. And that's on the throne of your heart. He doesn't want anyone, anything else in that seat. He wants that place. But here's what happens. If I, can, if I can elaborate on this slide a little bit, maybe this is when you're a Christian, but you've lost your first love, and some of your affection has begun to turn towards something or someone else. What does that look like? It looks like, man, whenever you're first saved, you're on fire for Jesus, you love Jesus, everybody needs to know Jesus, and and, and you know, you're, you're just all excited about Jesus, but then, after a while, the fire begins to kind of simmered down a little bit and before you know it Jesus isn't on your lips your your passion for Jesus isn't burning like it used to burn and all of a sudden it's it's easy it's easier to get excited about that thing than it is to get excited about Jesus and that thing can, can come at any of us let me be clear okay and these don't even necessarily have to be sin right like having a great job that's not sin unless you put it before Jesus, right? Right. Making great grades in school is not a sin. That's a good thing, right, unless you put it before loving Jesus, right? So if your grades get to rule your life or if your job gets to rule your life and Jesus is tapping on your heart and going, hey, listen, um, I live here, but you've removed me from the throne and you placed a job there or you placed anatomy there or, you know, algebra or you guys have those classes too so you know what i'm talking about like when did algebra get to take my place and jesus is going hey he's kind of knocking on your door and he's going uh hey guys that seat's mine remember and there comes a point in every christian's life where you kind of have to reprioritize right jesus you're right i've been messing this up i'm sorry lord i repent I turn away from that, I'm going to put you back on the throne, I'm going to let you stir up that passion from within me. Revelation said that says that whenever this thing happens, when we lose passion for Jesus, we ought to return to doing the things that we did before that stirred up our passions for Jesus. Because here's what normally happens, people get, um, they, they find themselves in this place after they've quit praying as much, or after they've quit like attending church as much or worshiping the Lord as much or, or maybe their playlist on their phone has changed and instead of spending the morning listening to worship music, they're spending the morning listening to whatever. You see what I'm saying? And so if you look back, if you find yourself in this place, listen, if you find yourself in this place tonight, I want you to think back to the things that you were doing before when your passion burned inside of you in a big way. And begin to do those things again. You'll find that passion begin to be stirred up again. But there's another part where like in this maturing process. Where what happens is you find that your priorities begin to. um, You know maybe you were dating that person. And they're saved right. Right. Biblically, everything seems to line up. But the Lord comes in, and because you're a mature believer, he begins to speak to you and says, hey, that's really not the one for you. And so now you have a choice. Am I going to put them on the seat, or am I going to put Jesus on the seat? Does that make sense? And this happens in, like, every area of life. Listen, I've, seen, I've seen college students change their major. To follow a calling and it's not that the major that they had was wrong they just didn't know as a freshman that the lord was going to call them to go do this instead and so if they're going to go do this they need to start preparing for this not the thing that they were doing before right it, it, and so they have a choice do i change majors do i lose those 30 hours credits it, like how do i handle this right and you can either place the 30 hour credits on the throne of your heart or you can put jesus there you leave him in charge right? So it it happens this way in all different areas of life. And, And so here's what I'm saying. This seat doesn't always have to be sin oriented. Sometimes you have to say no to a good thing to say yes to the God thing. Does that make sense? Are you tracking? And so, so this is, this is kind of where this is. You're still saved, but there needs to be a change so that you can keep Jesus as Lord, keep Jesus on the throne in every area of your life. And I would argue that we all find ourselves in this spot on occasion. I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that I find myself in this spot often where I literally have to make a choice between Jesus and what he's asking me to do and something else that maybe I wanted to do. Right? So, we have to repent. we got to turn away from those things and turn towards the God things. Okay, so, what's step two? We repent, that's step one. Step two is this. Now that we've turned away and we've removed some things, what do we need to include in our lives? So that we can grow spiritually. What needs to be included in your spiritually maturing process? What, are gonna, what things are going to help us to grow? Well, let, let me ask you guys. What do you guys think? To grow spiritually, what are some things that ought to be included in our lives? Throw some things out. Devo life. What do you mean? What's a Devo life? You read what? Do what? So not like Playboy or the Bible. Okay, very good. Read the Bible, spend some time in God's Word, right? Okay, what else? Prayer. What else? Fellowship. Fellowshipping with other believers who can help you grow right? What else? Worship. These are all great things, right? Like some of these things, some of you need to like turn away from like a TV show so that you can read your Bible, right? You, You see what I'm saying? Like some of these things, like is the TV show necessarily bad? No, but Jesus has been tapping on your heart and going, hey, when do I get that 30 minutes? You see what I'm saying? So what do we include in our lives to become spiritually mature? The third thing is this. You, got, you need to, like, create your timeline. See, If we're going to talk about being spiritually mature, um, then there needs to be some repentance of some things, some removal of some things, and then there needs to be some including of some things. But, but these things need to actually happen. You can't just talk about them, and then they never occur. And if I can just be honest, this is kind of what Paul is dealing with in this, in this church. Go, go to that next slide, guys. Creating your timeline. So in creating your timeline, um, Paul is writing to a church that he's, like, he's, a, he's years removed from at this point. After spending 18 months with these guys. So, so here's what this tells me. There are people in this church that have been in this church for years. And are still acting in things like jealousy and quarrelsome some debates, and some stuff like this. And so Paul is going, listen guys, um, it's time to grow up. you got to mature. you got to leave some of this stuff behind. you got to include the better stuff. And this needs to happen now. I, I, I wanted to speak to you in spiritually mature terms, is what Paul, Paul said. But I couldn't. You weren't ready. See guys, some of you have been talking about getting rid of certain sins. For a year, two years, three years, you've let that thing linger. Listen, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If you will unleash that power in your life, you can overcome any sin in your life that you, that you deal with. Period. Hands down. There is nothing stronger than the power of God. That raised Jesus. If he can raise Jesus from the dead, he can take care of the sin issue in your life. Amen? It's time to take some steps towards this thing. Some of you guys have been talking about reading the Bible. And, and man, you've started about a dozen reading plans. You haven't completed any of them, right? Like you can't get through a month of reading the Bible. You've been talking about this for years. It's time to to turn away from some things. It's time to take some good steps towards. Good things. And here's the problem. When we tell Jesus no. We. Stop. The maturing process in our life. Does it mean you're not Christian? No. Jesus understands. Temptation. Jesus understands when your heart. Is drawn towards something. Something. That's not in God's will. If you don't believe me. Go look up the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus literally sweat drops of blood. Because what his flesh wanted. Didn't align with what God had planned. And he had to fight in that garden through prayer. He understands the struggle. There's no temptation to man. That God doesn't understand. Because Jesus actually lived it. So. When Jesus says something and we tell Jesus, no, what we do is, it's kind of like pulling the emergency brake. We just, er, everything comes to a screeching halt and Jesus is like, okay, now I can't grow you at all until we get past this one thing. Why? Because we just took Jesus down off the throne. We say this, Jesus tells you to do something, right? You do it and you do it now. You do it according to his terms, according to his timeline, We'd, put, we'd say it like this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Because here's what some of you are thinking. Yeah, Heath, listen, I understand some of what you're saying. You know, like, I've dealt with this lust, lust issue for a long time. When I get married, I'll take care of my porn issue. But I'll wait till I'm married. And, and you know, some of you are thinking, listen, I know I need a fellowship. I know I need great friends, you know. Maybe I'll do that after I graduate college. Now, I, man, I really should get a handle on my tongue. I think I'll do that when I have kids. Just give me till I have kids, Lord. Yeah, give, give, me, give me a little space. a little time. Listen, delayed obedience is disobedience. If the Lord's calling you to something, you take those steps of righteousness immediately. You follow him down that path of righteousness. And here's the thing. Jesus is super faithful to, to forgive us when we need it here's what I find, a lot of people, they'll like, they'll focus in on their strong suit, but they'll ignore the thing that they're struggling with, right? And so they kind of give themselves a pass, you know? It's like, well, I struggle with lust, but man, I, dude, my prayer life is really awesome right now. You know, like, I, I read the Bible a lot. I'm doing really well at that. I'm on my Bible reading plan, haven't missed a day, but but hey, raise my hands in worship? No, not yet. I don't really want to submit all in worship. So we, we kind of like, we, we're really gracious to ourselves, aren't we? We're like, I kind of suck in this area, but I'm really good over here. You know, Like, G, isn't that good, Jesus? You know, and, and Jesus is going, yeah, but that's the thing I keep asking you about, right? Why? Because he loves us. He knows that there is, there's, there's, there's life on the other side of that thing. When God's Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart, he leads you down a path of righteousness. It will include repentance. It will include adding things to your life. And genuinely, for those of you that are saved, there ought to be a timeline. There ought to be a trajectory of growth towards Jesus. Does it mean that any of us are perfect? No way. But we ought to be taking those steps, right? I can't tell you how proud it makes me when I see, like, the baby Christian take, like, the most basic of steps. Like, we see crazy stuff. Like, man... My life group has a problem with cussing, so we put out the jar, and every time you cuss, you got to give a dollar. and And they're just fighting, right? Like they're fighting their flesh to like beat their flesh into submission, because otherwise they end up paying a lot of money, um, you know. So, but you know, and you're like, man, that sounds dumb, you know. Like, why would you even do that? Why not just take a listen for the baby Christian? It's a step in the right direction, right? And so, here's the thing: your timeline doesn't need to match anybody else's timeline. It just needs to be in step with the Lord's timeline for your life, right? Your growth and maturity rate doesn't have to match someone else's, but there ought to be a growth rate. You, you ought to be moving towards Jesus, not away from Jesus, right? Nobody's perfect. We're not Jesus, right? 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, um, there wasn't like a, a, a precursor to that. Hey, listen, if you're not saved and you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourself. No, listen, everybody, if you, if you claim to be without sin, you're deceiving yourselves. So, Jesus was the only perfect human to ever live. Hey, those of us that are saved, we will sin. I will sin. I will let you down. Okay? I get that. But, 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who is joined to Christ, anyone who is saved is a new being. The old is gone and the new has come. You can't say I'm saved, but I live exactly like I did before Jesus. You can't say I'm saved and I think exactly like I did before Jesus. I can't value the same things that I did before I was saved. Why? Because the old is gone, the new has come. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God and i haven 't met a Christian that doesn 't sin, but if you 've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will become a new creation. So I was talking to uh, somebody I, it seems like this conversation comes up um, quite a bit where, where like people um, they 're like wondering if other people are saved or like um, I find this a lot with with like the church crowd okay like you 've been sitting in church your whole life. But, like, Jesus isn't Lord, and, and so um, what happens is they think because, like, they've been sitting in church their whole life, like, they're good, they're saved, right? But Jesus isn't actually Lord of their life, and so when it comes to things like repenting from sin, um, they, don't, they don't take that repentance part to heart. Um, a few years ago, I was talking with a guy here in Kyle, he had hung out with us for a bit, and um, he started hooking up with his girlfriend they moved in together and so I'm having this conversation with him I'm like dude you're a christian right he's like yeah I'm like dude what like why are you doing this like this is sin like what what makes you think this is okay and he's like i just i just don't feel like it's wrong for us to be living together i'm like that's worrisome to me because when i hear someone who is sinning in the conviction of the holy spirit doesn't like speak up in their heart and they don't feel like something is wrong, that tells me that maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't reside in their heart. Like, that the relationship with Jesus doesn't exist. That's a scary place to be. But somebody at some point told them that they were okay. I I think that if you can sin and, and it doesn't like hurt your heart when you think about what you're doing to Jesus... There's an issue there. I know we deal with sin, right? But, but the Christian is a little bit heartbroken when they recognize what they're doing to Jesus when they sin. If you can sin and not feel any conviction or, or hurt in your heart, man, I, I'm concerned for you. For these believers in Corinth, it, it, like as jacked up as they were, guys, Paul's addressing them as saved church members. These are brothers and sisters in the Lord. And here's the thing, like, no matter how messed up your life is, like, the Bible really ought to give you some hope because there's some really messed up people that Jesus saved and that the Lord, that the Lord actually saved and took to heaven, okay? So, like, even if stuff is really messed up, stuff has just really gone awry, there's a lot of stories in the Bible where Jesus kind of straightens out their lives. Even if, how do I put this? even if it's not straightening out their lives, um, your life being straight isn't what gets you to heaven. So, as important as it is to live for righteousness, the most important thing in salvation is that relationship with Jesus. Because it's not your goodness that gets you into heaven, it's His. Does that make sense? Are you guys following? Like, we live a righteous life because we love the Lord. Right? Not to earn our way into heaven. And so you see a lot of jacked up people in the Bible who we will see in heaven one day, not because they were good, but because Jesus was good, right? <clears throat> um, so if you, if you were to keep going, if we're talking about spiritual maturity, if we keep going in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 there, all right, we jump into verse 4. If you'll remember a few weeks ago, Paul was addressing a problem in the church where you had like different people fighting over who the real leader of the church was. And they're like, well, I like Paul, I like, you know whoever Cephas and I like Jesus and you know people getting real spiritual with it right and and, and so Paul kind of alludes back to this in 1st Corinthians 3 verse 4 he says for one, for when one says I follow Paul and another I follow Apollos are you not mere human beings are you not showing your immaturity what after all is Apollos and what is Paul only servants from whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task I planted the seed Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So, so verse 5, Paul points out that they like all these big dogs in the church, all these guys who people are like, well, I follow Paul and I follow Apollos and I follow Cephas. He like, listen guys, all of us, we are simply servants who each had a task. And Paul starts relating, like, the, the, he kind of paints this picture of the church being a garden. It's God's garden, his field, where he's planting, he's watering, he's growing, and we're all just co-laborers in this, in this idea. So in God's garden, there are different here's what you've got to understand. There's a bunch of different flowers, a bunch of different styles. <laughs> you know, you can have your style of preaching, your style of teaching, your style of music, your style of worship, your style of prayer, all, all these different things, but here's the thing, like God gets glory in all of those. You can't make your thing like the thing, like the only thing. And so Paul's like, listen, maybe, you know, maybe I was the dude who taught this way and some of you guys like that and Apollos taught this way and some of you guys like that, but let's face it, we're nothing. Like the, the, the glory is not meant to go to the leader. The glory is not meant to go to anyone in the church. The glory is meant to go to God, right? And so he's like, literally, we're just like, we're, we're like tools in a garden. So I brought a couple of, you know, helpers up here so that we can kind of get this idea because here's what I see like some of you guys you're like listen if you're not doing big heavy strong stuff for Jesus you really don't count like you're like the brute strength like shovel you want to dig a hole right I want the hole to be big and I want to be massive we're gonna move some dirt right and and some of you guys are like well I kind of more like you know the rake style of preaching, like we kind of scratch the surface, and you know we don't get too deep, but man, it sure does make things look good, doesn't it? You, you see what I'm saying? Like, and, and so you've got like the shovelist, right? <laughs> this is the shovelist denomination, and then the rakist denomination, rakeist denomination, right? <laughs> and so <clears throat> you you've got like. You've got these different styles. And the truth is they're both going to heaven and they're both necessary in God's garden. They both have a purpose, don't they? And some of you guys, like you get really excited about running a shovel. Some of you guys get really excited about running a rake. Nobody wants to be the hope (laughs) for obvious reasons. Paul says, listen, some of us plant, some of us water. We've all got a job to do. In the kingdom, our job is simply to make the garden look really good. We each have our own responsibility that we take on, our own thing that we do, and you do your thing, and I'll do my thing, and if we'll all do our thing together, God's going to look really good because God's the owner of the garden, right? Have you ever considered, um, let's say you go out to eat, okay? Um, let's say it's like date night. You know, Scholar's taking Katie out on a date. He's like, uh-huh, Yeah. Newlyweds. Um, and and Skyler's like, listen, we got to go to Outback. You, 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 know, <laughs> you, you know why Schuyler, it like picks Outback? Because the last time he was there, the, you know, food was good, service was good. Man, it was an overall great experience, right? But he doesn't remember the server's name that served him last time, does he? He doesn't remember the chef. You know, he, he doesn't know the recipe that the chef knows. But Outback out is his favorite. You know, it, It's kind of the same way when it comes to God's garden. Each of us might be a chef. Each of us might be a server. And we might hold the recipe to the best steak in the world. But at the end of the day, it's all for God's glory. Nobody's going to remember us. They should walk into this church, into this sanctuary, into this community. And man, everybody has their part to play. And if we all do, our, do a good job, God, God gets the glory. And if we're talking about spiritual maturity, the thing that I see in spiritually mature individuals is that they have accepted responsibility in the kingdom. They've picked up their shovel. They've picked up their rake. Whatever it is that God has called them to do, they're doing their peace. And they feel a responsibility for the kingdom. And their little piece. And you do your piece, I'll do my piece, she'll do her piece, he'll do his piece. And, and, And at the end of the day, God finds glory in that. That's what it looks like to be a mature Christian. We get over ourselves, we begin to focus on the kingdom. And on the king, who is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you guys. Allow us to make you look really good. Jesus, we want to lift you up. We want to we, we celebrate you. We want to praise your name. Lord, we simply want to be the co-workers in your garden. The guys who don't really get much attention, but Lord, if we'll just do our part, if we'll take our responsibility seriously, you can use us to do great things and bring glory to your name. So Lord, Lord, I pray tonight that maybe you're stirring up some spiritual maturity inside of those in this room. Lord, maybe there's some things that we need to repent from. Lord, maybe there's some things that we need to add to our life. Maybe there's simply some priorities that need to be shifted. Lord, maybe for some of us, we just need to start heading in the right direction. We need to look seriously at the timeline and think about how long it's been since you asked us to Mature in that way. And maybe we need to take that request seriously. But Father, you didn't ask us to do it alone. Jesus, you promised that you would be faithful to forgive us. You'd be faithful to bring us new life. That your Holy Spirit would come and take up residence in our heart. And would give us the power and the strength and the courage that we would need to mature constantly in our faith. The Lord, as is, is, is we continually seek after you, Father, we would continually find you. The Lord, your Holy Spirit has given us the power to be overcomers. You've given us the power, uh, the power of God that lives inside of us. It helps us to overcome sin. It helps shape our desires according to the, the will of the Father. The Lord, we want to fall into that will. So Lord, speak clearly right now. What are the things we need to repent of? What are those things that need to be removed from our lives? What are those things that we need to do instead? Help us to take steps of maturity. Help us to be faithful. Lord, we'll never be as faithful to you as you are to us. And we're grateful that you're so faithful to us. But Lord, we want to grow. We want to be more like Jesus every day. We're trusting your Holy Spirit to help us to do that. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, there's a question I want to ask each of you tonight. If you're in here and you would say, Heath, um, listen, I don't know that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I don't know that he's ever been both Lord and Savior in my life. And I know he can't be one without the other. And, and so maybe for you tonight, the Lord's just kind of tugging on your heart. And he's, he's, he, he's telling you it's time. It's time to give your life over to Jesus and make him king, to make him Lord, to put him on the throne of your heart. And and for you tonight, if that's you, you got to know that God loves you more than you can imagine. See, one of the reasons that all of us have placed Jesus on the throne of our hearts is because not only is he the best option, but he has loved us more than anyone or anything that we've ever experienced in our lives. God is love. Is what the Bible says about him. And he's loved us enough to forgive us. He's loved us enough to give us new life. And he'll do the same exact thing for you. So if you're in here tonight. Maybe Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior. Maybe at some point you removed Jesus from the throne. And it's time to put Jesus on the throne of your heart. If that's you. I want to pray for you tonight. Um, so if that's you. So I know that I, who it is I'm praying for. Would you just slip a hand up real quick so I can see who it is that I'm praying for? Yeah. Thank you, guys. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to clarify something here. Um, I'm going to ask a very specific question. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, and tonight you're doing that for the first time, I don't want to single you out or anything, but I need to know for myself so I know how to pray. Um, If that's you, would you raise your hand? This is the first time you're making Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. Great. Great. Let me pray for you. Father, Lord, you've seen all the hands that go up. Lord, your Holy Spirit is working. He's moving in this place in our hearts right now. We are open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we repent from those things we need to repent from. And we're trusting that you are the faithful God that forgives us. You said it in your word, so we believe it. That you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Therefore, we don't have to leave here today with any shame. We don't have to leave here carrying any weight. Lord, we can place everything at your feet trusting you to be both our Lord and our Savior. We are grateful, Jesus, for the price that you paid on that cross. That you gave your life so that we could have new life. And Lord, we accept that new life tonight. We pray, Jesus, for you to take control. We put you on the throne, and we declare you as Lord and Savior. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's what we're going to do, guys. We're going to take just a few minutes. I want to give you an opportunity just to respond to the Lord. Um, And so uh, we're going to, if you guys would stand, we're just going to kind of open up this room for prayer, for worship. And, um, man, if you need to get alone with the Lord, maybe you need to come kneel up here. Uh, Man, maybe some of you for the first time in a long time, you need to kneel before the Lord and hand some things over to Him. Uh, Let me invite you to do that tonight. Um, But let's just sing to the Lord, and let's allow Him to seal into our hearts What his Holy Spirit is saying to us tonight. You guys are free to move about the room. And and worship the Lord as you see fit. We love you guys.